This is how it's going to start. Hey, it's me. It's the beginning of the podcast. How are you? How's it going? How's your body? How's your mind? How's your soul? How you feel? This is Johnny Pemberton. This is the host of uh, Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton, uh, the man I just said of the name who is that he just was. You're listening to The Executive Buffet, also known as uh, Hands on the Branch. Uh, we're taking a ride in Daddy's big red truck that is so big that it's not even really a truck so much as it is bigger than the area in which it drives upon. That's how big Daddy's big red truck is. And it's a bumpy ride here in the executive buffet. The tongs have been sterilized. And if you put the hands on the branch, it's, a, it's safe because it's a branch. It's high up out of reach of most things that would uh, seek to infect it. So what I'm talking about right now is uh, this little baby called coronavirus, uh, a.k.a. COVID, the disease called COVID-19 that we all probably have now, um, whether we know it or not. All this stuff going on. It's obviously, it's a big old bunch of mess. And uh, I'm not even going to say anything more than that. That's what's going on right now. It's it's uh, Tuesday, March 24th, as I'm recording this. Uh, the world hasn't ended yet. I don't think it's going to end tomorrow when you hear this. This podcast I am presenting to you now, this interview, is was recorded quite a bit a ways ago before the uh everything that's happening. I was trying to bank a bunch of episodes because I wanted to release a bunch on time and before I switched things over to start doing the podcast on my own under a different name, a different, slightly different style in my home studio, which uh, is just kind of going to be a little bit delayed now. Basically, everything is delayed, except, well, this podcast technically is, is a bit delayed, but um, I just want to say that... Uh, that so you know that when this was recorded that we're not like the stuff we're talking about i've already said way too much i've already been like acting act, like i'm trying to be an ombudsman or something for um just so you know what i said um in the con- current context it's not that at all i just want to say that this podcast was recorded a while ago and we don't talk about any of this stuff because it wasn't an issue at the time so I just want to be, you to be aware of that. Also, one should be aware that, um, I mean, it goes without saying that all of my tour dates have been canceled. I didn't have that many set right now, but um, they're fucking gone. They're canceled right now, probably until July. That's sort of, I think, what everyone's doing right now is we're saying July, maybe late July. It's, we might be able to start doing some cool stuff again, maybe. 
just maybe we might be able to start getting into some stuff again. Just maybe in July, I'll be able to maybe pick up our boots, put them back on, dust off the COVID bud, and get on out in the field and start cutting down some corn stalks and making some uh, some some grist for the mill out of that. You know what I'm saying? As of now, it's indefinitely postponed. All the stuff is. I'm doing great. Um, I like to think I already had the sickness. You heard me talking about it in a previous podcast. Especially if you're a patron, which is uh, patreon.com slash live to tape. That's patreon.com slash live to tape. I have a bunch of extra stuff on there that you can enjoy, especially right now, because, I mean, this is the time to be enjoying stuff. All that being said, uh, you can also get a hold of me if you need to at live to tape podcast at gmail.com. That's L I V E T O T A P E P O D C A S T at gmail.com. Com. That's the email. Uh, this podcast, I'm super excited about this podcast. I have wanted to have Wesley Larson, aka Grizz Kid, on Instagram. Um, let me make sure. I, let me make sure that's correct. You are confirmed to go for orbit. That's correct. Just Grizz Kid, G R I Z K I D on Instagram. He is an amazing wildlife biologist. I've been following him for a long time now. Everything he posts is stuff where. I am both insanely jealous and extremely glad that he's the one who's there, not me. And I get to see these pictures and videos that are uh, just some of the most rare, rarefied and interesting looks into nature that I think anyone's ever done. I think we're going to be hearing a lot from uh, Wesley, Wes Larson, in the years to come. He'll be, he's going to become a, um, you know, they talk about bands like, oh man, this band's going to be famous. I feel like the same way about him, that he is going to be, we're going to consider him a preeminent wildlife biologist in the years to come. Because as we know right now, and it's kind of eerie, actually, some of the stuff we talk about in the podcast, how, um, it's kind of, it's eerie, this, the, the topics, because they are very closely linked to this outbreak and a lot of, uh, ecological policy, I think we're going to have to start thinking about it a whole lot more now because we realize the power that these uh, these wild animals, <laughs> not so much the wild animals have. It's so funny when I try to sound like professional for a second, I hear myself and I'm just like, what are you fucking saying? I basically mean like, you know, there's wild animals in there and they are wild and we have to be careful how we deal with these uh, these amazing creatures like sharks and pangolins and bats and monkeys and all kinds of good stuff, and especially bears. So please enjoy this um, non-COVID-19 coronavirus podcast with the brilliant Wesley Larson here on Live to Tape. Ten seconds till firing time. Mark. Mark. How's it sound? Uh, it sounds good. How's it sound out there? Does it sound okay? Is there a way to get his levels a little bit higher, maybe, for me? Okay, maybe uh, say some, say some, <laughs> say some things. Yeah, uh, this is Wes Larson. I'm calling in to do a podcast. Yeah, it sounds uh, great. It sounds really good. <laughs> Practicing my podcast voice. Well, welcome, Wes. We've Thank been, you. We've been trying to do this for a long time, man. I've been trying to get you on here yeah. for so long. I'm so excited because it's like, the longer it takes me to get a guest, the more things I think about asking them. So it's kind of like, I feel like uh, already we have to do this again because I know I'm not going to, just because I saw you posted about uh, pangolins, and I'm like, yeah, holy shit, that's, that could be a whole episode right there. 
Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done some pretty fun stuff just the last couple months. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have a lot to talk about. Could you tell people like what you consider yourself to be? I mean, you have, you do all the different things, but I mean, when you say, when someone says, what do you do? What do you tell them? Yeah. So I would just, my kind of like brief answer would be that I'm a wildlife biologist. Um, but I got started you know, doing like real kind of research wildlife biology, uh, working primarily with bear species, and then uh, did my master's in that, continued to do that for a while, and then kind of um, got a little bit more in this science communication world and the outreach kind of world with, with wildlife. And so lately I've been working with a few different media groups on uh, doing some series and kind of telling some different stories about biologists around the globe and kind of trying to get people uh, inside the world of, of wildlife biology. Cool. That, what's the most recent one that you've been working on? Isn't it something called like Great Big Story, or is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. So Great Big Story uh, started as like the digital storytelling arm of CNN, and then they kind of became their own thing. And they produced just a lot of really short-form videos about stuff, like anything from music to food to culture. And, um, but for my series, I'm actually the first hosted series they've ever done. And we, uh, it's called Mission Wild, and we travel around the world, and we uh, insert me into different wildlife projects for a few days, and I kind of get this behind-the-scenes look of what different people are doing with different species, and uh, and I really like it because we uh, we're, we're telling the stories that the biologists want to tell. Um, That's really important. Yeah, I feel like it is. You know, a lot of times wildlife biologists really hold their projects close to their chest because most of them have been burnt by media at some point. And uh, and having like another biologist there, it, it kind of gives them this inherent trust, and they let us uh, film stuff that they might not let other people film, and and then they actually get to kind of craft the narrative behind it, and uh, and then it, it's a powerful tool for them to use for fundraising or for getting people interested in their project. So, do people, do biologists worry about their stuff being misrepresented because of like all sort of things? Because the person who's editing it and stuff doesn't really understand. Like the, maybe the nuance of what's going on. Definitely, yeah. I think uh, I think you know, in media there is this. You you kind of want to sensationalize things, and yeah. and that I think that happens to biologists where someone comes in on their project and they maybe want to tell a more sensational story than actually exists, and that can hurt biologists when it comes to fundraising and to you know kind of being credible. And so, yeah, so a lot of them are really hesitant to let people in. So we've been really lucky to, to work with some species like pangolins and wild dogs and, and animals that people generally don't have access to. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny to me because I think about that. Like there is that always that sensationalizing of stuff. Sometimes you see it on the Discovery Channel with like, I don't know, a show I always think about is Naked and Afraid. Sometimes yeah. like, when they say stuff like, there's a spider in this crevice that, that right. could kill. It's like, the spider's not going to come anywhere near that person. But they have yeah. this music like this, dun, 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 dun. And to me, right. it makes me, it pisses me off so much because it, it puts, strikes fear in people's hearts who don't know anything about this thing. And it makes them totally. scared of something. The other thing that gets me is that, like, most animals, uh, if you just watch them do what they do, that to me is like so exciting. It's such a, like an interesting yeah. thing. You get to see a new a species of animal you've never really seen before and see it in its environment. It's such a such a thrill that I feel like yeah. 
you're, you're gilding the lily there when you try to like uh, make something seem interesting that's already inherently so compelling. Definitely. I like for me, nothing excites me more than seeing an animal in its natural habitat that I've never seen. It like it truly is like for me the best feeling in the world. Uh, so yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I think. Like, I, I think when you bring that up, I think of Shark Week, where Discovery, you know, they have, like, the yeah. most popular nature broadcasting in the world right. with Shark Week. But there always has to be one or two episodes in that week where it's, like, portraying sharks as these man-eaters and these terrible animals. <laughs> yeah. And even though they kind of pamper it with all this other stuff about how sharks are, you know, massive need of conservation, of advocates, they still have to give you that kind of, like that fear propaganda. And, and I get it. I get that's what people want to hear about. And it is fascinating. I'm like, I'm absolutely fascinated by animal attacks, but then you get in the water with a shark and you see how beautiful they are and how like graceful of an animal. And you realize how important they are to their ecosystems. And it, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just, yeah, I I think it's hard because uh, the sensational stuff is really entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. It's a weird thing where uh, it kind of, uh, it's like a, like slippery slope, I guess. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, we love our monsters. Oh, yeah. They're the best. Well, that brings us to bears, I guess, which is kind of a... Yeah. Bears are pretty, uh, I mean, maligned in some way, but they're also... I mean, it's such a unique species. It's like, it's, it's a bear. It's an animal that everyone in the world knows what a bear is. Yeah. But, and you you have thousands of photos and all these interactions with bears from, like, being tiny with their eyes closed to so these massive grizzly bears and stuff. And it's stuff where you see these photos, they look fake. There's a one of, uh-huh. there's so many, I've seen so many places repost your photos when it's like these not accounts that are not wildlife accounts. It's stuff like, yeah. like check out this crazy shit. Like a guy, like could be on the same page <laughs> as someone jumping off a, from two buildings, like a hundred stories up or something like that. Yeah. You see you facing down that bear den. And the things like I don't know how many hundred pounds, hundreds of pounds it is, but so yeah. I mean, how did you get into bears? Yeah, so I think you know you bring up a good point that bears are this animal that is universally loved. Like a lot of us went to sleep as children, you know, cuddling a bear. Like there's something that we all love about bears. Um, and for me, I grew up in Montana, and I, you couldn't go out in the forest in Montana without having the back of your head that you might be near a bear and mm-hmm. you know that you need to be wary of them and you need to be prepared. If you do encounter one, like in, in elementary school, we had this group called bear aware that would come and teach us what to do when you're, you know, attacked by a bear. And so for me, they were kind of this mythical creature that was just always there and always present. And so I was fascinated by them. And then, uh, I went into college and I kind of went down this road of wanting to make more money and being more successful. And, so I went down a pre-medical route and graduated, was going to be an optometrist, got into a few schools, shadowed a doctor and just hated it. Like couldn't, it couldn't have been like the worst, a, a worse profession for me. You were just not and, interested uh, in it at all. It just was boring. And yeah, it, you know, and like and no my hat's off to all the optometrists, <laughs> hats there. Off to them. but for me, like sitting in a dark room, six, seven, eight hours a day, however many hours, they, I don't know what, how many hours they sit in those rooms. And then, uh, kind of just looking forward to these rare moments where I could get outside wasn't worth it. And, uh, and I actually talked to this optometrist that I was shadowing and he knew me well. And he was like, this isn't it for you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it wasn't. And so I went and found a professor, uh, Dr. Tom Smith, who was doing bear work. And I just, I went and asked him for a job and he kind of blew me off. And then I went in every other week and just pestered him and bugged him and talked to him. And he's a storyteller and he'd just tell me stories and I'd sit in his office for hours at a time. And we formed this friendship. And then after about a year of that, he gave me a job on a polar bear project, uh, just kind of helping out. And then, um, after I proved myself in the Arctic, he, he brought me on as a student, and I did my master's degree with him. And uh, so yeah, and the rest is kind polar of polar bear project. You were in the Arctic Circle. I was in the Arctic. Yeah, wow. I was in like the far north part of Alaska, working on the on the sea ice and studying polar bears. Man, so that was your introduction to bears. Yeah, was the biggest that, bear. And, Those are the yeah, biggest exactly. ones, right? What was that? Those are the biggest ones, right? Polar bears. They are. Okay. Yeah, polar bears are the biggest terrestrial carnivore. And we say terrestrial like in quotation marks because uh, they're technically a marine mammal, but they are. They're the biggest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They are so, so goddamn big. They're just... They are. And yeah. and the funny thing is people, when I tell people about doing polar bear work, they, you know, inherently bring up, aren't they super dangerous? Aren't they this animal that is bloodthirsty? And, and the scary thing about polar bears is if you are being followed or stalked by a polar bear, they're not, um, they don't have these kind of territorial attacks that a grizzly might have. Mm -hmm. So if, if one is coming after you, chances are it's predatory and it's wanting to eat you. Right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the scary thing about polar bears is if you're attacked by a polar bear, there's a decent chance you're going to be eaten alive. Yeah. Um, but really the scary thing about them is just the conditions that you have to work in if you're a polar bear researcher. Right. Uh, I've had frostbite on multiple fingers, frozen my eyeball solid. What, what do you mean? How had, do you fr freeze your eyeball solid? Yeah. Uh, Can you not so we see? Had, what's that? What are you saying? Oh, should, we, should we what? Oh, so we had oh, we so, had this chart uh -huh. when we were up there, and the chart was like, it, it would tell us how cold it was with temperature and then the wind chill, wind speed, and then it would tell us like how many seconds you had before you got frostbite. Oh, wow. And we would use that chart to decide if we we're safe to go outside. And there's this one day that we really had to go out, um, but it was negative 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Ambient. Um, ambient. And then oh, with wind chill, it was God. probably negative 95 to 100. So probably the coldest day I've ever had up in yeah, the Arctic. That's, that's like Antarctica. Yeah. I mean, it's about as cold as it can get up there. Yeah. And we made the bad choice of deciding to go out. And we have really good gear. EC, what's um, called uh, extreme cold, ECW, right? ECW uh, yeah, exactly. gear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we um, we suited up and, and we have to ride our snowmobiles out to these den sites that we were monitoring. And I so we have these big helmets that have, you know, heaters in them and all sorts of stuff to keep us warm. And then we're covered head to toe in like multiple layers of gray gear. But as I'm riding my snowmobile, I feel that there's like somewhere in my in my helmet a tiny little crack, and I can feel air hitting my face. And I'd gotten frostbite before this time, and I figured I'm gonna get some frostbite. It usually scabs over, it gets really itchy, but it's Jesus not the end of the world. Christ. Yeah. Ah. And then, uh, and so I'm still going, and suddenly I lose all the eyesight of my right eye. It was like someone had poured milk over my eye, <gasps> and yeah. <laughs> And so I, I pull over and I touch my eyeball and it feels just like I have like a rock in there. It doesn't feel like it's part of my body. Oh my God. And, <laughs> yeah. I've never heard and of this. 
Yeah. And so we're pulling an enclosed sled um, for these kind of emergencies. And in that sled, I was safe for me to take off my gloves and I take them off and I again, touch it and it feels all weird. So I put my palm to it and just sat there with my palm, like praying to God that my eyesight would come back. And after about 30 seconds of that, it thaws out and I can see again. Um, but it did, it continued to twitch for like probably two months, every 20 mm-hmm. seconds it would twitch. Um, but for me, that was, you know, a small price to pay for getting my eyesight. Yeah. Oh, well, that's terrible. Did you end up good to see, you saw, this is the first trip ever out to Arctic Circle. This is when that happened? Yeah, this was my first trip up there. I'd spent six weeks up there and this was towards the end of it. Um, but I ended up doing, I've done seven field seasons up there. Um, and that was by far my coldest year. It, it's oh. gotten um, significantly warmer up there, even just in the time that I've been working. Hey, what are you there. talking about? What do you mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we've got this thing called climate change. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I It's funny because I, I still come across climate deniers that uh, will, you know, kind of throw all these things at me. And I just can say, you know, from personal experience, right. I've seen massive changes in just the six or seven years that I spent up there, it changed drastically um, to where, you know, one year it never got above negative 40. And then my last year there, it was 20 degrees every day and there was melted water. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it was like d- drastically different. Um, so that it's, yeah, it's for me, it's not even a, a worth an argument anymore. Right. So, so when you're up there with these polar bears, um, what? How do you safely encounter them? Yeah, you know, with that study, we're not handling bears. We're not really trying to encounter them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at ways uh, that the oil industry up there can avoid denning polar bears. And um, with polar bears, the only bears that are actually digging a den and hibernating over the winter are pregnant females. And instead of, you know, picking like a rocky cave like a black bear or grizzly bear might they actually dig into a snowdrift, and then it snows over top of them so you can't see these dens um oh. with the naked eye yeah and yeah and so our our project was first learning the best kind of methods for finding dens and then also seeing what kind of disturbance these bears were were dealing with with the oil industry which was actually pretty minimal um thankfully but uh but yeah so I guess um, to answer your question, we were setting up cameras on the dens and then leaving them running and then coming back after the bears had already left and uh, collecting our gear and getting out of there. So we were kind of doing our best not to see the bears. Every once in a while we were, while we were there, a bear would pop her head out or something and watch us. Um, we actually will go into these dens afterward and measure them and, and whatnot when the bears left. And one year my colleagues were digging into one that had been they'd been told it was abandoned. And uh, and the bear was still in there. Who told me? Oh, that, that's abandoned over there. Yeah, <laughs> some exactly. some guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just some no local yokel was like, "Yeah, go ahead on in. Go ahead." Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, like the Fish and Wildlife Service and the oil company said that they'd seen the bear leave weeks weeks before, but uh, she was still in there, and she wasn't happy to see them oh coming God. in and and chase them off. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, that one, that's a very uh, non kind of intrusive study. Mm-hmm. And it's one that we've written multiple papers on and we've learned a lot of really great stuff. And Washington Post actually just did a article about that project yesterday. Oh, cool. So wow. It's still producing some cool, some cool data. Yeah. Polar bears. I remember as a kid 
seeing a polar bear, just being so fascinated, just how, how, just how big they are. Yeah. And just like the paws, how they have that, it's like a tennis racket or something like that. It is so big. They're they're massive. Mm -hmm. You you don't. And the, the crazy thing is when you're up there and you see one out on this open ice, because there aren't any trees or anything around it, you can't really understand the scale of how big they are until yeah. you're up close with one. And then you realize, like, this is a massive animal. This is an animal that could kill you, you know, with a flick of its wrist. Yeah. Um, and they're so impressive. They're our only bear that's purely carnivorous. And, you know, because of that, they've gotten so big. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Because let's, yeah. let's talk a little bit about... Um, Black bear. What, what, are the, what is the polar bear's name? It's Ursa. Is it it's still an Ursa species? Yeah, Ursus maritimus. Ursus maritimus. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And what about yeah. black bears, Ursa? Ursus americanus. Ursus yeah. americanus. I didn't realize that they're unique to America. They are. Well, so we have the American black bear. Right. Um, and then there's actually an Asiatic black bear as well. It's um, in America or it's is- only in Asia? It's only in Asia, so okay. that's their own species. They're much more aggressive. Um, they're also like colloquially. Coll- I have the hardest time with that word. Colloquial- Not even going to try it. Colloquially, again. you know what it I'm is hard saying. to say. Yeah, it's literally, yeah. it's literally hard to say. Colloquially, yeah. it's just- yeah, that's it. They're colloquially known as moon bears. Um, <laughs> okay. so you got sun bears, which are kind of this really placid, fruit-eating bear in mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, and then moon bears, which are spread throughout Asia, that are Asiatic black bears and super aggressive. Um, but then over on our side of the planet, we've got American black bears, which um, is the bear that most Americans are familiar with. And you have the highest chance of seeing when you're on the woods. Um, and that's one I've worked with quite a bit as well. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they're kind of, they're really timid bear. Mm-hmm. They're the ones I've worked with here in Utah are, are pretty small and they're really shy and that's why I can crawl into their dens with them. Um, but those are still, you know, really scary <laughs> moments. Um, so, yeah, I, I can go more into that if you want. Yeah, I'd love to. Because, I mean, it's something where uh, I'm trying to think like how – because it's not like a tiger or something. It's not like no. it's not like Timothy Treadwell where you're out there doing this sort of like, oh, this person is insane. It's a different, yeah. it's a different thing. It is. Uh, you know, people have been going into black bear dens. Black bear researchers have been going to their dens for a while. Uh, and it's because you're working with an animal that really just wants to get away. It doesn't, they don't have this really territorial aggressive response that you'll find with a grizzly bear. And they're not this ultimate predator like a tiger. Um, they're an animal that, that really doesn't want anything to do with us. And so when you go into a den well, first of all, people say, oh, they're hibernating, right? And and they're they're not true hibernators. So they're they're in what's called a torpor, which is something they can come out of pretty quickly. So generally when, when they hear me coming, they're already awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they can snap out of it really quickly. And uh, it still takes them a little bit of time to get full control of themselves, but they're awake. Uh, and so when I'm crawling into these dens, I usually am dealing with a bear that's you know, cognizant and that's looking at me. And, uh, and the, the most important thing for me is just paying attention to their behavior. Uh, and, and just, you know, reading the signals that that bear is giving me. So a lot of these dens are shallow enough that I can, I have what's called a jab stick. It's just a pole with a syringe on the end of it. And I can see the bear from outside and I can jab it. And then 
you know, pull that jab stick out, put some stuff like some bags, backpacks, whatever, over the den entrance, let it fall asleep, and then pull it out and work on it. Okay. Um, so you're tranquil- tranquilizing it? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We give them ketamine. The bear goes into a K-hole, All right. pull it out, uh, <laughs> work on it, put it back in. Uh, so those are the easy ones. But then the photo that you were talking about, um, it's me in this like 80-foot-long den. Uh, and then I've got a 300 foot long. Yeah, this bear somehow found this chamber in this red rock that just went 80 feet down. Natural chamber. I don't mm-hmm. know how it was made, but it was this narrow tube that I could barely squeeze in. They squeeze in this crazy tight kind of stuff. They're like a cat. Wow. Um, and it was nightmarish because it was, it was like turning into night when I got there. And I bend down into this dark hole and I just see these two green eyes staring back at me. And it's this thing where like, you wouldn't want to crawl into this place even knowing that there isn't anything back in there. Right. You know, just it was tight enough and scary enough that it's not something you want to go into. But then knowing that the one thing you really don't want to be in there is in there and you have to crawl back there and, and kind of face it uh, was honestly like one of the scariest moments of my life. Uh, so we get there. It's me and my little brother and... Uh, and we're crawling in and he's behind me. He's my like kind of helper in the right. field. And he's saying, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Why is he saying? Cause it's such a <laughs> long, such a long hole. Yeah. And typically when they're longer, what I can do is I can get in there and leave my feet on the outside and he'll hold onto my feet. And if there's oh. a problem with the bear, he'll yank me out. But this one is so long that that wasn't even, you know, close to being an yeah. option. And he's, he, so he's like pretty scared, and I was too. It was a terrifying den, and this was only my third year of doing dens, and I'd never had one like this, so I I didn't really have a precedent for it. So you were going um, in to to trank the bear. Yeah, he had a collar on him that that had a battery that was getting low that I really needed to change out. Okay, so the bear had already um, been collared, and this is like a thing they yeah like, for tracking, so they can know about the bear's whereabouts and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we were doing a study that was looking at what those bears were doing and um, and how they were interacting with backcountry campsites in Bryce Canyon National Park. Okay, that's in um, Utah, right? So he was, he was, yeah. So he was one of our study bears. Um, but yeah, as, as we're crawling in there, so we really needed to get him, uh, and I really didn't want to let him go. But I, the only thing I had heard of in situations like that was that if the bear comes at you and you don't have a way to escape, you just lay flat, let it run over you hope that it runs over you yeah um so that was kind of my only my only plan you can't use bear spray well, in a situation like, like that who, who said that to lay to lay flat like who's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. um i did this it worked uh <laughs> yeah there's there's this community of bear biologists and okay. i talked to a few of them that had been in dens and and this was mostly information that i learned after this den because you know, most of them, after showing these pictures to some colleagues, they were like, there's no way in hell I wouldn't have gone into that den. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're calling in. My brother's freaking out. And he's he's saying so much, like, why, why are we doing this? Don't do this. Don't do this. That it's freaking me out. And I start, like, saying, Jeff, shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. Uh, and so then he starts going, you're the bravest person I've ever met. You're the bravest person I've ever met. And we crawl within... I'm within eight feet of the bear. He's awake at this point and he's, you know, staring right at me. And at that point I'm looking for, uh, any behavioral cue that he's really pissed off, which he'll start swinging his head back and forth. They make this okay. noise. 
they pop their jaws. Uh, like pop, they do like, a few like clicking? Yeah, it's this really loud popping noise. Wow. Um, like, you know, you know, some of those languages like Swahili where they yeah. can make those really loud kind of popping clicking yeah. noises. It kind of sounds like that. It's okay. a really enunciated pop. Wow. Um, and he wasn't doing any of that. And so I decided just to go for it. And I stick my, I take my pole and, and, you know, take some, some length on it. And I put it right up against him and wait a few more minutes. And then I just slowly gave him the shot. Um, and then I backed out. And unfortunately with him, it didn't really take. And so he, <laughs> I just... he starts coming out of the den and I'd crawl back in. And that's that photo you've seen. There was a, Nat, a guy from Nat Geo there with okay. us, and he took that photo. Yeah, and so he's crawling out, and I'm kind of moving backward to the same speed. And uh, and then I come out quicker, and I yell to my little brother. I say, hey, you keep that bear in the den, no matter what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I load up another just a hand, another dose of the drug in a hand syringe. And as I get it loaded up, I turn around, and I see my little brother in front of this den with a snow shovel just hitting the bear trying to keep him in the den right and the bear just doesn't even feel it doesn't care i mean they're like they're really hardy animals and he's just like walking out slowly just ignores my brother and so i literally I, you i mean this is gonna sound like i'm exaggerating but i have multiple witnesses mm-hmm. uh i i ran up i grabbed this bear's legs pulled him out from the, under him the rear legs and then yeah the rear legs pulled him out from under him got on his shoulders and pushed his head into the snow and kind of just held him there. You still got a 400, 300-pound oh, bear? How big is this bear? Yeah, 350. Jeez. This is my biggest bear. This is uh, your biggest bear? Him, yeah, this is my biggest bear. Uh, <laughs> this is a... I, gave him a, I gave him a hand injection mm-hmm. uh, right where, you know, the best spot to get him is right on their hip, and that's mm-hmm. where I gave it to him. And then just held him until I, I yelled at my brother and the other guy to come and hold his legs. So he was kind of all stretched out. Yeah. And we just held him there until he, until he passed out. Um, okay. Yeah, and I like I've never had that much adrenaline. Wow, I can't even imagine that. That's crazy. Yeah. You probably weren't even thinking that. You just had to do it. Yeah, it was just it was kind of like a, a reaction. I'd always told myself that I ha- if I was in that situation where I had already sedated an animal and I needed to control it, that I would do that. And and in the moment, I I did it, and so I was kind of proud of myself. Wow. Does that bear yeah. have a name now? Because it's kind of famous, isn't it? Uh, so I, we had named that bear already. We, we don't use their names in like the publications and whatnot, but right. we do use it to keep them, to keep them straight. And his name was, oh, I'm trying to remember, um, Homer. I named some of them after Simpsons characters. Okay. <laughs> so he was, yeah, so he Homer. was named Homer. Uh, he actually ended up getting shot by a hunter, which was the Are real bummer. Serious? Um, How would, yeah. I didn't know that was even a legal thing you can do. Yeah, you can hunt black bears in Utah, and and uh, they do really discourage people shooting bears with collars. Uh, but this hunter shot him. Uh, I don't have a good answer for why. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So the, the I mean, um, so that they're not endangered at all. They're not. No, black oh. bears are doing great. Um, they're super adaptable. Right. They do great on fringes of of human settlements and cities and whatever. So they're. They're they're really they're kind of um, the bear that's probably in the best shape. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought they were protected. I really didn't realize you could even hunt uh, bear in the United States. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, they're they're um, probably pretty much anywhere they're found. You can hunt them. Um, 
Hmm. There's some bears like grizzlies you can hunt in Alaska and Canada and whatnot. But That's then only recently, right? They're protected. What's that? Isn't only recently they've allowed that? No, just recently they've been talking about being able to hunt the ones in Yellowstone. Okay, uh, yeah. They go outside of the park, but but in Alaska and Canada, you've been able to hunt them for a long time. Are you familiar with this writer uh, Scott Carrier? I'm not. He's a uh, he's been he's been a journalist for NPR for like 25, 30 years, and he's in his podcast, and he uh, was talking about the um, how they might open up um, hunting on. I think he lives in Utah as well, but he was talking about yeah. about them opening up uh, hunting on grizzly bears again. And he was saying how the study that they did about that was obviously it's one of those things where the, the people who want to hunt the grizzly bears did their own study and were like, oh, there's tons of them. But he said that it was yeah. like a, everyone was like, this is everyone in the community knows they were counting incorrectly. It's also something to do with yeah. the, the amount of. Um, the amount of uh, pine nuts that are available, it was saying how that's right. like a huge part of the bear's diet. Yeah. it's You know what? It's a really tricky thing for me. Uh, so I've worked with a lot of the scientists that worked on those studies right. um, with grizzlies, and, and they did the pine nut study, and, and grizzlies have always had this cash crop of this mountain um, pine where they, they'll raid squirrels' little caches of pine nuts, and they eat a ton of those before the winter, and it's, it's a, a really fat. great way for them. Yeah, it's it's great for them to put on weight, um, and that's a tree that has been completely decimated by climate change and beetles, and they're functionally extinct now. The the white those white pine bark or white pine nut um, is that a white bark pine or so, is that a, is that just a... white bark pine? That's okay, it. yeah, white bark pine. those are high elevation um, pines, right? Yeah, high elevation. Okay. Uh, their pine nuts are super fatty, so they're a great you know protein source and fat right. source for these bears. Uh, but what the study actually found is that bears uh, are really adaptable and they can quickly transition from one food source to the next. Mm-hmm. So these grizzlies in Yellowstone have moved to killing more elk calves and to kind of going for other, you know, high sources of protein and they're doing okay. Um, and so I, I, it's hard for me because I really want to see the successful side of this and realize, you know what, these Bears were doing really poorly a few decades ago, and now through really hard work of some of my colleagues, they've been brought to this point where they can now be hunted, which I don't like trophy hunting. I mm-hmm. think it's – I don't get the mindset of wanting to kill an animal like a grizzly bear. I think it's a power trip. It doesn't make sense to me, but it is part of kind of you know the culture around wildlife, unfortunately, and, and getting them to that point does represent a success. Um, so it's ironic. I think it is ironic and it's kind of this, this like terrible outcome of, of having a success in conservation sometimes. Um, but hunters are big shareholders in the whole process and, and you do have to involve them in that, in that decision-making. Uh, it's tricky for me. I just love bears more than anything in the world. So. And and yeah, in Yellowstone, it's definitely you know, I grew tri- up in Montana. It's a, it's a tricky thing. It's one of those things where it's like you can't. There's no easy solution, and it's such a because I mean, there's so many hunters. Like I grew up in Minnesota, and I think yeah. most of the most of the conservancy land in Minnesota has been paid for and is it is uh, looked after by like Ducks Unlimited or like people who like, go duck hunting right. and stuff. And so it's like they're doing all this work to keep land from being developed. 
but they're doing it yeah. so they can hunt ducks. But it's, I mean, exactly. you get a lot of bite, you get a lot of good out of it. But I think there's something different, obviously, between ducks and bears in terms of like totally, yeah. Well, and and the problem too is most hunters are wanting to kill. You know, at least in the states that I've worked in, they mostly want to kill elk and deer. And so then you get this huge bias towards having huge elk and deer populations, populations that are way too big. Yeah, they're too uh, big, they're right? Unhealthy. Too big. Yeah, unhealthy for the ecosystems. You know, they're probably big enough that if we weren't on the landscape, they'd be fine. But in my opinion, they're too big because then you're managing for them and you're anti-predator. You know, inherently, that's going to be kind of the decisions they make. If you're trying to have more elk and more deer, you want less mountain lions and less black bear. Um, And I, you know, it's tricky because, again, these managers and the people that are working with them, they're kind of their biggest constituents are hunters. Um, but, but then they're managing for that, you know, and it, right. it creates this kind of false ecosystem where, uh, you're, you're really focusing on animals that might not be, um, the ones you should be focusing on. Yeah, You're calling the herd by hunting them instead of having them be killed by predators. Right. I mean, it's, it's this idea that, we're preserving these animals for hunters rather than letting these kind of natural processes work. And then we're taking the ones on the fringes. Um, there's plenty of deer and elk for mountain lions, bears and humans, but we have really prioritized hunters in that, in that system. And, and again, I, I don't, I don't want to be the one to point fingers because it, you know, hunters have put a ton of money and, and resources into those things. Um, but there's there's some interesting changes happening in that where you see grizzly bears in Alaska right now are more valuable alive for ecotourism than they are, you know, as a $10,000 permit. Wow, yeah. Well, that's the other thing I was going to so, ask you about is because I just read some article, I think it was an older episode, episode I mean, uh, edition of National Geographic. They're talking about sort of the um, just the, the, the bad side of ecotourism. They're talking about gri- yeah. bears in uh, Russia— they talk about the pangolin in Africa and in Southeast yeah. Asia and all this stuff where it's like, I mean, it's depressing. Some of that stuff is, it or is. elephants in Southeast Asia are like, that's that's yeah. really depressing too. It's this thing where yeah. like, they're talking about how some of these places that they have the, um, the like the real standard tourist spots where like, a, you know, your vis- a family visiting from some place in Asia would go to see to do the do the elephant ride and all the normal stuff right there's also the ones that like wealthy people wealthy like you know hoity toity people from america go who are super quote unquote eco conscious who go to see the elephants right. free roaming and they found out it's owned by the same person and it's the same elephants they just swap them out it's like yeah. this like this feel yeah. good thing where it seems to be like such a damn if you do damn if you don't situation yeah yeah, so I just two days ago got back from India, and I was working with a group out there that does elephant rescues, and they do them right. And they're they're primarily rescuing elephants from these places that are tourist places where people can pay to ride them or have them at a wedding or whatever. And and they take them and they put them in these huge enclosures and they give them, you know, all the food they need and places to be- to bathe. And the only people that are interacting with them are their keepers. Um, and that's kind of the key thing is if you are interested in ecotourism and you want to go see an animal that's been rescued, if you're allowed to ride it 
or touch it <laughs> or, you know, have it paint a, a picture for you or anything like that, chances are um, someone's poking that elephant with something or, you know, when you're not around, they're, they're brutalizing it in some way. Yeah. Chaining it. Uh, you can't do any of that stuff. You just can't, especially if you're writing them, uh, anywhere you go that you're allowed to ride an elephant, that elephant's being tortured yeah. and you're supporting that industry. Unfortunately, the thing it's like, uh, the thing, the argument that I hate so much is that people will say like pe- people who are in favor of zoos, like having large mammals in zoos, they'll say, uh, Oh, you know, but I want my children to be able to see this animal. And I'm always like, maybe they don't get to see this animal. That's the, you don't you don't have to. Yeah. There's a lot of things I haven't seen, and that's sort of yeah. like what makes them cool. Is I haven't been able to see them. Yeah. It's just yeah something about that. Think, it's just so that point of view is so infuriating. It's uh. Yeah. It's but it's also hard I to think, argue against because someone who does have that point of view, how do you make them understand? What they're doing, they have a, such a glib. I don't know. It's yeah. really, it's hard to. Com- I just, I think if if I was you, I would be so frustrated because I wouldn't know how. How do you make? How do you get through to these people who are the problem to make them understand? Like, uh-huh. you know, it's not about convenience. It's about gonna, sustainability. We we should rewind a little bit because okay. uh, with zoos actually. I I'm a fan of zoos. Okay. If they're done, if they're done right, right. Um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a, a good zoo, which is usually one that's like AZA accredited, that they have to hit a certain kind of benchmark of standards. Okay. Um, they do a few things that are really great for wildlife. And A, they, they contribute a ton of money towards wildlife conservation. A lot of my projects have been funded by zoos. Uh, B, they're mostly only, at this point, they're really only taking animals that for whatever reason can't be in the wild anymore. Right, they'd be like, they're rescuing so, them essentially. Yeah, for for example, at the zoo here in Utah, they have three grizzly bears that their mom killed and ate a guy. And rather than, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and the, they the ate them, right? Them too. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they, they actually had to kill the mom. Um, but rather than kill the cubs, they sent them to the zoo. And so these are these are animals that couldn't live on the on their own in the wild. Right. And then um, see, a lot, a lot of people um, really get, motivated to care about animals by going to the zoo uh those species really do represent ambassadors for their species and and i know that sucks that we have to have them in you know these enclosures or whatever but anymore zoos do a you know I, again when i say zoos i mean the accredited right, yeah. good zoos okay they do a great job of giving them the space that they need the enrichment that they need uh kind of everything that they need to be you know quote unquote happy animals mm-hmm. um so really, if you are going to a zoo, the important thing is to do your research and make sure it's a zoo that's hitting all those standards. But if, if you do that, um, you can feel pretty good about going to zoos because they really do contribute to conservation quite a bit. Um, now, that being said, like a lot of those rescue places that we brought up are the places where you can hold cubs or zoos where they don't hit those standards are the worst possible place for an animal. Yeah. And you're right. Like in that situation, there's there's really no argument. For those places, um, it's just there's there's nothing good about them. Yeah, it's they're yeah. terrible, right? With the uh, yeah, I gotta plug my computer in super quick. Okay, sorry, no problem. I'll be right back. Quick break. Yeah. Wesley Larson, aka the Grizz Kid. <laughs> yeah, plugging in my computer. 
at GrizzKid on Instagram. <laughs> is it the GrizzKid or GrizzKid? I always forget. I'll I'll just look it up right now. I'm actually gonna know. It's GrizzKid. G R I Z K I I K I D. Yeah. Okay, I'm all plugged in now. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. All right, and we're good. Right. Well, so can we talk cool. a little bit about pangolins? Yeah, let's talk pangolins. <laughs> it's such a weird animal. Uh, yeah, they're they're an animal that a lot of people didn't even know about until recently. Really? Uh, been, yeah, they've been in the news quite a bit because they're the most trafficked mammal on Earth. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but they, uh, you know, they're this weird-looking little kind of anteater-like animal that's covered in these scales, and uh, they don't have any natural predators. A pangolin can curl up into a ball, and that ball is so tightly bound that a lion can't even break it. Wow. Um, yes, there's nothing that kills them in the wild, so that's why they are kind of easy fodder for poachers because— they don't really react to us. They don't run away. They don't really hide. They just don't really have anything to be worried about. So people can literally just go up and pick them off the ground. Um, and so, yeah, because uh, their their scales are made of keratin, so the same stuff as rhino horn, uh-huh. um, and it's used in traditional medicines in China and Southeast Asia. So they're being, I mean, hundreds of tons of pangolins every year are, are smuggled into China uh, mm-hmm. to be used in these in these medicines. But because of our, our dear friend, the coronavirus, um, we may see a halt to that. Yeah. China recently banned. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was it's right. The, the real, they just uh, banned it eating uh, wild animals, right? Yeah. They put a ban on all import of wild animals, which it was already illegal, but there was all these loopholes that people could use to get them in. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully they're closing those loopholes, and it's going to be a huge break for animals like pangolins and tigers and rhinos. Wow, that's really great. I, didn't, I saw that, but I guess I didn't realize that the uh, there was always poaching implications with that. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly like that's what's happening to all of those animals that are being brought into China. They're being poached. Yeah, because I was in uh, South Africa for a few months. I was working on this movie there, and one of the last things I did was go to this uh, this rescue. I mean, I guess you could call it a safari type thing, but it was like a, it, was a, it was so big, and we saw yeah. we got to see a couple. I had to see an. I saw an elephant there, and uh, it was kind of scary because his his penis was yeah. fully erect. I guess because it hasn't it hadn't I've been. Seen uh, that. Yeah, because I guess they they starve them. They like want to get them super horny, so when they do have sex, it's it's more likely they'll have an, a successful insemination. So this bull elephant yeah. was like, you know, came really close to us with his with his penis fully extended and stuff. But they were saying, I mean, this is like a nice animal park that uh has rescues uh-huh. these animals and they even have they've had they've had animals killed from poachers and this is a place it's like you know a yeah. really nice place has tons of uh, what do you call them rangers or whatever working the property yeah. and i can't it's, it's just crazy to me to think that that people uh, i mean it's it's such a gamble because it's, it's a constant thing mm-hmm. it's insane yeah. i mean it's not yeah they they just don't they don't stop i mean they some of these parks, like they have ex, you know, Israeli military or whoever that are there. There are people that will shoot poachers on site, right. and the poachers just keep coming. It doesn't stop them. Um, 
I, I recently, so I worked with some raptor biologists and they are doing vulture projects in Africa. And they were telling me about how vultures are being wiped out. And vultures are incredibly important animals for the ecosystem. Right, because they're they, carrion eaters. Exactly. They're, they're cleaning up all this, you know, the trash essentially. And they're, you know, putting all that back into the ecosystem. And, uh, and what's happening is poachers, when they kill an animal, the vultures start circling. And so they're alerting people. They that kill the vultures? Kill them. So God. what they'll do is they'll put another carcass out and they'll poison it. And they'll kill hundreds of vultures at a time um, because they don't want these vultures alerting people that they just poach something. So vultures are being wiped out because of poachers. It's just it's this horrible wow. thing that's wow. completely something decimating new I know wildlife. <laughs> it's it's What's weird. That? It's just like, wow, something I didn't know that now I know. This uh, Yeah. There, there is a lot of – maybe we should stop talking about some of this terrible stuff because it's like there's, there's kind of no <laughs> yeah, end to it sorry. really. Yeah, we should talk some more about. We should talk some more about bears because that's like such a specialty of yours, the black bear, or and not just black bear, but grizzlies and um, isn't there the California? We have a special bear, right? Is that true or not? I don't know. Uh, no, you know, there's there black bears have a lot of different names. Like people say, oh, cinnamon bear, California golden bear, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, What it is is just a different phase of black bear. Okay. Same bear. It's a black bear, but it's, you know, it's got a golden coat or a cinnamon coat or a black coat. It's like people where we can have different hair color. They can, too. Got it. So those are just yeah. black bears we have in California. They're just black bears. If, yeah. If you're anywhere in the in the lower 48 of the U.S., uh, besides Montana, Wyoming, a tiny corner of Idaho, and a tiny bit of Washington, it's just black bears. Those so, are the only places where grizzlies live. So the other place you've have you done any work with grizzly bears at all? Uh, you know, I've done a little bit. It's been mostly observational stuff mm-hmm. um, up in Alaska, but mostly what I, I've mostly been polar bear and black bear, and just started on sloth bears. Sloth bear. Yeah. What is that? Sloth bears are they're an Indian species of bear. Uh, they're probably what Baloo was in the okay. Jungle Book. Got it. <laughs> yeah. And they're crazy. They're they're really interesting. They're this really shaggy black bear. They have a big kind of white V on their chest. Um, and they're almost purely insectivorous and um, and vegetarian. You know, they're just eating plants and insects. But they because they have co-evolved with tigers and they cohabitate with tigers, they have this incredibly aggressive response to any threat. Um, oh. You know, if they see a tiger, they just hit it with everything they've got. And a tiger is an animal that can't really afford an injury because they're this sleek predator yeah. that needs every muscle in the body to catch to catch prey. And a bear, you can really you can you mess up a bear pretty badly, and it can still you know eat bushes and, and right. insects and whatnot and be fine. Um, so they they hit a tiger with everything, and, and the tiger is like, okay, I bit off more than I can chew here, and it backs off. And unfortunately for humans, uh, they have that same response with us. So they are responsible for more attacks than any bear species. And they actually, you know, a lot of those attacks end in fatality because this attack is just such an aggressive response. Wow. They're really. That sounds, I've somehow never heard that kind of bear. It sounds so interesting. Look them up. Sloth bears. Wow. Yeah. They're also, they're cute because they have this big patch of fur on their back Mm -hmm. and their cubs use that patch to ride on. Oh, You'll see wow. lots of photos of moms with, with two cubs on her back, and they actually, like, ride around on them. 
any kind of animal writing, like any animal on animal writing is always just, there's something about yeah. that is like the most cute fodder that exists. Is it is. Any type it's, of animal on another animal. Like when you see like those pictures of, uh, you know, those weird interspecies romances that happen all the time. You see like, uh, yeah. like a golden retriever who, lo- who loves this tiger. You know, they just <laughs> yeah. like that sort of stuff. You see the writing that happens sometimes. It's just, yeah, it's so it's so interesting, yeah. so cute. It's funny. Yeah. Well, with, yeah. Uh, they're they're cool species. So, what kind of stuff were you doing with them? Uh, so that again was with that group, Wildlife SOS, and they um, they stopped this practice in India called the dancing bear industry. Okay. And uh, and what it was was there's a specific tribe of people down there that would they would capture baby sloth bears and they would run a chain through their muzzle. Sorry. I know we weren't going to talk about depressing stuff. Too late. That's okay. <laughs> but, uh, they, and then, and then they would pull on this chain with the bear in the street and the bear would be in pain. So it looked like it was kind of dancing. Oh. Um, and it was this tradition that went back hundreds of years and this group went through and, and one by one they rescued these bears and they would replace the bear with like a corner shop or a, or like a rickshaw or mm-hmm. some other form of income for these people. And then they took all these bears to the sanctuary. And so they have hundreds of sloth bears that are living, honestly, the best life a sloth bear could ever have. They're happy. They have huge enclosures. They have tons of food, great enrichment. Um, but they're really understudied species, and we don't know very much about them. So I was helping uh, a couple doctors, um, Dr. Tom Smith again, and and uh, this guy here in Utah named Thomas Sharp, and then a doctor in India named Arun. Uh, and we're looking at different scents that might be intriguing to sloth bears. Um, smells. To hopefully prevent, yes, smells. Okay. To hopefully prevent some of this conflict with, with people. Oh, could, to could push them away so they don't have to worry about them. So To ward them off. Yeah, either to ward them off or to avoid a scent that might be bringing them into these places where people are spending time too. Um, It's really just kind of collecting information about the animal so that we can analyze and look at what might, you know, be the cause of of some of these these conflicts. With the uh, with the black bears, do they have a thing that they that they love and or the thing that they hate as far as smells go? Yeah, Uh, surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, they love honey. So okay. when I when I was catching black bears to collar, uh, kind of our our you know silver bullet or our, our thing that was the best thing to bring them in was honey, um, but really anything with high you know high calorie food mm-hmm. for them is a huge draw because when you think about it a bear can spend hours you know eating berries plants and whatever and it would it would have to spend hours doing that to get the same calories it's going to get from one Twinkie or donut or something. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what usually gets them in, in trouble is breaking into people's camps or whatever to, to get that food that they love. Yeah. The campsites at Yosemite have uh, these bear boxes that are baited with bacon fat, I think. Yeah. 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 So they, I mean, there's lots of different ways to kind of get them away from people. Um, but those, you know, the bear boxes and, and storing your stuff in campsites and in bear proof, canisters or containers is kind of a key thing when you're in bear country right yeah so is, is there anything that bears don't that they that they don't like uh i mean it's that's a tricky one right there's stuff that they don't really react to there's sense that they don't really care about 
but we don't really have anything that really like wards them off. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there's bear spray, which is just really hardcore pepper spray that shoots yeah. 30 feet. Um, and that's to stop an attack, you know, and a bear that's coming at you. And they hate that. I mean, it chokes them and it blinds them and it does everything that they don't like. Um, but you can't like spray that in a circle and then have a yeah. bear not be interested in you. Um, one thing I really, with the sloth bears, one thing I really wanted to test was ti- tiger markings. Um, okay. You know, tigers will like spray trees and stuff. Yeah. And I was hoping to collect some tiger marking scent and test that because my idea is uh, they're probably going to avoid anything that has to do with tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really have an equivalent of a tiger in, in the U.S. We don't have something that is actively hunting and killing bears besides us and they don't really have a scent that they associate with us so there's not really anything that technically scares them away do uh timber wolves or any type of wolves have any relationships with black bears uh yeah with black bears black bears are just going to run away from them um and and crawl up a tree so black bears have a pretty easy escape from wolves grizzly bears and wolves have this really antagonistic relationship really um it's pretty well documented where they'll compete for kills and, uh, you know, wolves will kill a, a animal and a bear will run them off vice versa. Um, and it's, it's depending on how many wolves there are, it could go either way, but there are, there's actually a few documented cases of them working together too, but for the most part, the species really don't like each other. Okay. Have you ever yeah. seen any wolves in the wild? I've seen a number of wolves in the wild. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a pretty Experience. See, because I've seen uh, I've seen a couple of bears, and I've gone uh, backpacking enough in the backcountry in Yosemite with a friend of mine who's like, he's like, uh, he just knows his, he works up there, and he always yeah. tells me, you know, you shouldn't be scared of a bear. You should be like, oh, how lucky it is to see one because they're so they're so skittish that chances are you'll make so much noise you won't get to see them because they'll run away from you. Yeah. And but I can't imagine ever seeing a wolf. That would be be crazy yeah it's wild because we do you know because we do have dogs in our you know in our relationships in our homes everything i think we have a connection with wolves that we don't necessarily have with other animals okay when you see a wolf in the wild there is this really kind of beautiful connection with them um they don't they don't attack people it's super rare they're actually in the lower 48 we don't have any documented um fatal attacks from wolves i didn't know that that's Uh, interesting yeah yeah recently a woman i think about 10 years ago a woman was killed in alaska but that was the first one in alaska um in europe they've had tons of them they've had tons of people killed by wolves but why is that uh, a different type of wolf i i you know it's hard it's the same animal um it's because they're europeans isn't it not, yeah, exactly. fucking Europeans, man. They're not. They just don't get it. <laughs> they don't. You know, it's it's these it's these cultural differences, yeah. I guess. Uh, no, I I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it might be because there's this much longer history of the two civilizations kind of you know coexisting. Okay. Um, obviously, there's Native Americans here much longer than that, but you know these big cities and whatnot. Um, and people really aggressively hunting wolves over there might have created this kind of animosity. I don't know, right. but I'm sure there's I'm sure there's research that that deals with that. But for some reason, it's just not an issue over here and over there. It's, they've had some big issues with it, but um, but yeah, they don't they don't you don't really have to be afraid of them here. That's interesting because I know people always are scared of coyotes, and I'm always like, 
That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah also, you don't need to be afraid of coyotes. They're so small too. They, yeah. they seem big, and you get closer. Like, oh, this thing is this thing is little. Yeah, you know, in California, every once in a while, a coyote will will pick off a kid or something. Um, yeah. So you don't you don't want to leave your kids playing out after dark, I guess, if you're in coyote habitat. But um, I said they had it coming. Really, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> every once in a while, a kid's got to yeah. get snatched up to be like, "Hey, exactly. watch your kids." Population control. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, you know, for the most part, most animals that have this kind of culture of fear behind them, it's unwarranted. For the most part, those animals don't really cause the kind of, you know, they're, they're not worthy of the kind of fear that we've given them. Right. And wolves are def- definitely in that category. With uh, with bears, because there's been a lot of changes. Uh, and I mean, it's probably since even uh, since we were kids and stuff about how we're so much better at managing, uh, keeping bears away from populations. Like just the whole don't feed the bears thing. It's like a yeah. thing where used to be so commonplace and that's pretty is that is that what's behind pretty much every bear attack is because of humans like they get this they get a food source they're used to the food source and they don't get it and so that makes them aggressive yeah i you know that's behind especially if you're looking at black bears that's behind a lot of the the black bear problems uh is is a bear that's been habituated and conditioned to getting food and then suddenly it's taken away or you know, it's willing to be become aggressive for that food. Um, with grizzly bears, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, they're an extremely territorial animal. Okay. Every animal has this fight or flight, and with grizzlies, it's fight. And they, uh, if you're just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time and you surprise the grizzly bear, there's a good chance it's going to knock you down and do some damage. Um, and they, they too can become food conditioned and and food conditioned bears can be, you know, some of the more dangerous bears that you have mm. to deal with. But uh, it's yeah, that's that's such a good question because there's not really a great pattern. Um, my mentor Tom Smith, he he constantly he tells people with black bears, you know, uh, you don't have to be afraid of them until you do, and <laughs> and it's true because. You know, ninety like nine hundred and ninety nine times out of a thousand, you encountered a black bear. It's not going to do anything, but you might just encounter the bear that one day decides that you're food mm-hmm. or that you're a threat and wants to do something. And even though the rule is that they're not going to do anything, that one might decide to do something. So my advice is just to treat every bear like it's a predator and to be wary of it and to, uh, you know, slowly back away and give it its space. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've lost all my fear of black bears just because I worked in these kind of really intense close spaces with them, and I do understand their behavior well enough that I know what to do if one is coming at me or if I have an issue. But for everyone else, I would just say, remember, this is an animal that can easily kill you, even the small ones, and uh, and give it that kind of respect. Can you talk a little bit about the intelligence of black bears? Do they have a certain? Because they're not like predators like you said like wolves or animals that are purely carnivorous so do they have a different type of intelligence you think yeah they're they're insanely intelligent they're problem solvers that's the crazy thing about bears is uh we've gone through so many iterations of of bear proof stuff because they they crack it they're good at just realizing you know figuring out weaknesses and getting past them uh you know this group i was working with in india with the sloth bears 
they they have these fences that they have like these huge enclosures, but there are, you know, there's an electric line going around them and they have bears that have figured out how to put stuff on that line to test where it's active <laughs> and where it's not. And then when they find a, an electric fence, that's not active. They'll dig under it um, and they'll go through it. And, and like we've had bears, I mean, like you can teach bears how to, there's videos online of bears and circuses that are riding unicycles and juggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're incredibly intelligent animals. Um, and it's, it's something that there's lots of studies on and that we're still kind of figuring out just where the limits of that lie. But, um, but yeah, they're definitely not an animal that you want to underestimate when it comes to their ability to figure things out. Yeah. Cause they have like, they almost have like a human like quality when you look at them, they, yeah. they look, they look back at you in a way that's, and also that, exactly. that, that sort of shyness too is that's kind of human. That's very human like, and. There's all these things that is I don't know I think that to me that seems to be like why bears are so popular and why we just why we're just so infinitely fascinated with bears because they, totally. they occupy this weird space between predator and and like uh like like a prey animal or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean they they seem like a friend. It seems they're they're a very personable animal. They're an animal that that we can see ourselves in. And there's you know countless again videos where you can see bears doing really kind of human like things. And, um, and that, I think that's part of their charisma and part of their charm. And, but yeah, like you said, they're, they're working things out when you're looking at them. Um, and that, and that's another reason, you know, when we were talking about attacks, uh, one thing you never want to do from any kind of predator, if you encounter one is run because the second, you know, if you encounter a bear in the wild and, and it sees you, it is going to be working out like, okay, what is this thing? Right. You know, is it a, is it a threat? Is it prey? I don't really, I'm, it's figuring it out as you're figuring it out. But if you see that animal and then you start running, it forces it to make a decision before it has really figured things out. Yeah. So it might just be like, okay, it's running away. I don't care about it. Or it might think, oh, this thing's running for me. It's prey. I'm going to hunt it down and kill it. Um, so that's why you never, ever run from any predator uh, unless so, you've got some kind of easy escape. You just treat them like the cops. Yeah, exactly. You just be respectful. Slow, respectful. Yeah. 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 And just hope they don't kill you without warning. Exactly. Which cops do to people sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the what um what do they smell like? Uh you know, they're not it really depends on the bear, but most of them just kind of smell earthy and musty. Mm-hmm. Kind of like they've got like a wet dog smell to them kind of. Okay. But but not as bad as you might think. Um, I've had some bears that I've caught that have been kind of rolling around in their own their own feces or whatever, and those ones smell pretty bad. But um, in their dens, they actually will like rip apart logs and pine needles and stuff. Uh-huh. So their their dens sometimes smell really good, like <laughs> like like a cedary kind of like cool. fresh scent. Um, so, so typically they don't smell that bad. Um, yeah, kind of like your dog. What about bear scat? Is that stuff, it's pretty, uh, I mean, what do bears eat for the most part? Like, is it, uh, is it so varied? Yeah, it's it's varied, but most of the, most of the bears that you're going to encounter in the States are eating vegetation. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see a lot of, like, berries and, um, and like, nasty kind of, like, seeds and whatnot in there. Um, so my bears, you know, you could really tell what time of the year it was just by looking at their, their scat because you might see 
you know, one certain berry that's on for that time of the year, or you might see like acorns in the fall okay. or whatever. Um, yeah. But there are, there's bears like in Yellowstone where they do kill a lot of elk calves and those, they're going to have a lot of, you know, fur and whatnot in their, in their scat. What about the, uh, like fishing? Is that only grizzly, grizzly bears that fish? Yeah, there, there's a few black bears too that will fish. You really only see fishing on, on salmon stream. Okay. Um, where you have this huge mass of fish moving up the stream at the same time. And then you'll see fishing and that's where bears can really, those are the fat bears. Those are the really happy ones. Um, because they have this huge source of food, you'll see multiple bears together. They're not really territorial. Oh. That's, that's Those are the bears that people can get pretty close to too, because again, they're just, they're happy. They've got everything they need. They're not defending their territory. Um, and so technically like because of that, they're generally species or they're generally groups of bears that um, tolerate a much higher level of interaction with other bears and with people. So does that basically explain the whole Timothy Treadwell experience? It does. Yeah. He was working with those coastal bears, and that kind of is what gave him the the ability to interact with them at the level that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like like we said earlier, sooner or later you're going to come across the wrong bear, and that's what happened to him is – uh, he, he finally encountered a bear that wanted to kill him and mm-hmm. wanted to eat him. And it did. And I ate his girlfriend too. And, and I've seen the autopsy photos and they're, they're not, it's not a good way to go. It's yeah, a terrible way to die. So yeah, you know, Timothy is this guy who I, I respected his passion and I, but it was really misguided. You know, he yeah. thought that he was doing those bears a favor and really getting an animal used to humans never does it any favors all it does is put them in a place you know they shouldn't be right that's interesting yeah that's a, that's a good point getting animals used to humans is a tough thing yeah especially an animal that's hunted because you know one of those bears sees a hunter then it's like oh it's my buddy you know it's this person you know that I've, right. I've been around these guys i like these guys and then it runs up to that person and gets shot you know or the bear that ate timothy they had to kill that bear because it's a man-eater and and it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. So ultimately, ultimately, the guy ended up getting some bears killed. Right. Um, you know, and then and he died in a really horrific kind of way to die. So. Yeah. What about uh, cougars? You ever seen a cougar? I've seen multiple cougars. Um, they're they're a cool animal. That's for me like the holy grail. Of, yeah. Of animals. I've heard that's West. one of those things where, again, my same friend Patrick, who I've had in the podcast a couple times, he always says that. That you know, people are worried about cougar attacks. Is that's just the most, that's, to me? That's insane. It's like worrying about. I'm worried about that. I might have the coolest experience that anyone's ever had. <laughs> to yeah. see a cougar is like. It, I really, there's people who's, who've worked for the park service who haven't seen one in 20 years. You know. Oh, totally. It's seeing a ghost. Yeah. You're seeing a, a, a ghost I, that's alive. They're so quiet too. Like the ones that I've seen when they jump back into the forest, you don't even hear it. I mean, they're just the perfect, the perfect predator. And they're, yeah, they're, they're another one where really the only people that ever get attacked by them are really fast moving people. Like if you're a trail runner or trail bike rider or something yeah. and you pass a cougar really quick that you don't see and it decides, Hey, this is food. I'm going to jump out and grab it. Those are the people that get attacked by, by mountain lions and, and cougars. And, um, but yeah, I, they're they're also i mean they're pretty 
we talked about how tigers, sorry, I, I'm kind of like okay. predator stuff is what I'm so fascinated in, but cougars are the same way where they, they need every single muscle on their body to survive. You know, a cougar can't break its, its leg and survive. Mm-hmm. And so they're really risk averse. So if you even put up a decent fight against a cougar, chances are it's going to leave you alone because right. it's just not worth it to it. Yeah, because it doesn't want to have any kind. Of, also, the, their calories come at a, a high price, so they have they to they have to yeah. guarantee. I mean, it's like why you see all those videos of on the savanna where, when um like a cheetahs are tracking a, an animal, they always try to get the slow one, the small one, because if they spend all right. this energy and they, it's a miss, it's like such a deficit for them. Totally, it's devastating. Yeah, yeah. and that again is why I love bears so much. Is- they're just, they just kind of are the ultimate opportunist. They're just, you know, walking around and eating whatever they find and a bear can break its leg and still just kind of be okay. Um, <laughs> That's such a funny idea to think about. Stuff. Yeah. Bear with broken legs. Like, it sucks, but I, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'll, it'll, yeah. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just really like how hardy they are. I mean, I, I wish I had that kind of endurance, but, um, but there is something about big cats. They're they're such a, a cool animal. I gotta ask you what one more animal, and then we'll wrap things yeah. up. But um, wolverine. Yeah. Have you ever seen a wolverine? I've seen one wolverine. Uh, it's a contested sighting. I saw wow. it with my family, in. and uh, I saw it with my dad and my brothers that were there. Have are vehemently opposed to the fact that we saw one without him, and they contest that it was a sighting. What are they? But think I'm pretty it was? sure it was a wolverine. They think it was a marmot. Um, Marmot's so much smaller. They are. And, and, you know, we saw Wolverine tracks that day, and it walked out on this rock, and I saw it pick up its head. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Wolverine. Where was this? But there, what's that? Where was this? This was in Glacier National Park. So that's in uh, Washington? It's in Montana. Montana, Yeah, okay. it straddles the Montana-Canada border. Um, but, yeah, they, they're just kind of the most badass animal out there. I mean, it's just not anything tougher than a wolverine have you seen chasing the phantom uh is that the the documentary about them uh-huh. yeah it came I, out yeah, like 10 years ago yeah where it just talks about them like crossing a mountain like it's nothing and i've watched it 10 times it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's the greatest thing I, ever those wolverine researchers they're a different breed Talk i mean about... they're the guys that have to yeah those guys are so goddamn patient those guys don't yeah. see Wolverine. They see one a year, and it's like that fuels them. It's crazy how they, they never see him. Well, they'll and they'll be working with one, and then like the next day, it's on the other side of a mountain range, mm-hmm. and they're just like, "What the hell?" You know, we just had this thing here, and now yeah. it's decided just for whatever reason to cross a fourteen thousand foot mountain. <laughs> they're, they're wild. I yeah, love them. That's cool. Well, Wes, yeah. um, where can people like? What's a good place for people to go if they want to see? I mean, obviously, your Instagram—you have tons of stuff on there. Uh, yeah, do you have you have a YouTube too, is right as well? I don't. You no, don't. I, that's okay. something I've been thinking about getting started. But really, Instagram's kind of my main okay. outreach place. Um, so just Grizz Kid on Instagram. There's a lot of and links to series, the stuff, right? Oh, go ahead. This yeah, one. yeah. The series with Great Big Story—it's um, called Mission Wild. Mm-hmm. So if you just Google Mission Wild Great Big Story, those are all on YouTube. Um, and they're like eight minutes long. They're they're a quick watch, but I think we've done a really good job of, of telling some really compelling stories about wildlife. Those look so cool. Yeah, there's one I saw recently about the uh, uh, a certain lizard or a, what is it? It's a it's a water. Yeah, 
The Tegu lizards? Okay, yeah. That yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. And again, they're a quick watch. You can get through an entire season in like half an hour. So See, I feel like I want the opposite. I'm like, I need some, I need some hour and a half long stuff. Yeah. You have plans to make like, got... kind of a documentary or something like that? Uh, you know, I would love to do something like that. Uh, it's definitely in the cards. Um, it's just kind of finding the right partners yeah. and people that, that have the right motivation for it. Well, I would, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Sure. I'll make a let's documentary. Do I'll be the guy who's like, kind of like, ah, okay. Are you sure? <laughs> yep. And I'll be the guy that's saying I'm positive. Let's okay. Let's do it. It's time. Yep. Thanks so much, Wes. Thanks for okay. talking to us. Talking to me. Yeah, thank you, Johnny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. we'll, Sorry, we'll talk I'm... again. We'll talk about. There's so much. I mean, I'm going to think about 15 things I meant to say, but I didn't get to say them. Yeah, we just scratched the surface. I, I guess, mean, I could talk about this stuff for hours. One last thing I, I just remembered. Is there anything? Um, do you feel like bears have any type of uh, preference for music in any way whatsoever? <laughs> I'm kind of, a, you know, I'm kind of a lo-fi, like DIY punk guy myself. Okay. So that's that's kind of the stuff that I um, that I listen to when I'm working with bears. Right. But I I think if I were to say what does a bear listen to, um, I don't know. I, like I guess I guess like the thing that makes the most sense would be like bluegrass. Okay. Kind of like mountainy, <laughs> kind of banjoey bluegrass. Wait. Stuff, so what but, stuff are you listening to then? Typically. Ah uh, man, what do I? You know, I really do. You, have you ever heard of Alex G? I don't think I have actually. Uh, it's like Sandy Alex G. He's an artist that I've been really into lately. I like this punk band from Canada called Pup. P U P. Yeah. Aristotle's uh, gone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Our engineer. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then I've I've been listening to this band out of Boston called Wunderbar. It's kind of like an indie rock band right. that I really like. Cool. Yeah. Well, so the bears yeah. they, can, they can tell they can sense it. I think yeah. Yeah, they can hear it coming and they know it's me. Got it. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks again, Wes. Take yep. care. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. We'll be good in touch. To you. All right. Sounds good, bud. Bye-bye. Bye. See you.